up, citizens? It's Vincent Jones, aka Citizen Jones, here with another episode of Quarantine and Chill, a daily podcast where we talk to LGBTQ people from around the world, learning more about their story and how they are experiencing the coronavirus pandemic, or what I basically call the zombie apocalypse. So grab a drink with or without alcohol and tag a few friends on the socials to join you for this kiki. And let's quarantine and chill. You know you can't go nowhere. Hell no. Hello there, Robin McGee. How are you doing over there? And Fred, yes. Or Fred, no. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the Fred, yes. We always need some a little positive energy coming this way to the valley. Sometimes people are valley haters, so I'm happy that you have that positive energy. Why can somebody hate on Fresno? Well, I think it's a lot of, you know, one, it's conservative politics, which I totally hate on myself as well. Uh, But I think that a lot of it comes from people who live here in the valley. They don't feel like they have the energy and the pop that the Bay Area or that L.A. could give them. So a lot of times people from the Valley will say, you know, I just can't wait to get out of here. I want to get to the Bay Area. I want to get to L.A. I want to move to San Diego. And then they go there and they realize, wow, I can't buy a house. I can't travel. Um, All I'm doing is working to be able to survive. And then they come back and there's a renewed love. And so it's like that fresh yes. I can own a home. I can afford to travel. And, you know, for me, I look at it. It's not the politics that I would ever want to live in. Um, had I known it was as conservative, um, I probably would not have chosen this as my forever home. Uh, but in reality, I felt like it was God's message that you got to do your work where your boots are planted and you can't just keep running from the work. You know, you got to do it, you know, wherever you are. I love that. Um, and, and for people who don't know where Fresno is, can you just kind of say where it is and maybe describe it a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So Fresno is in the center of the state of California. It is about three and a half hours south of uh, our southeast of San Francisco, about two and a half, three hours south of Sacramento and about three and a half hours north of L.A. Um, And, you know, so you can go to the beach and drive over to the San Luis Obispo Central Coast area in about two and a half hours. But you can also be in L.A. and San Francisco in about three and a half hours. Um, So it's the center of the state. It's agriculture. They call it the fruit basket or the bread basket of the um, world because a lot of agriculture is what we supply supermarkets and farmers supply um, restaurants and all kinds of different food that leaves from this valley helps feed the nation. Um, So lots of farm worker rights. There's a history of fighting for labor rights. Um, Cesar Chavez was from the valley. Um, And so this area, um, you know, you have a diverse population of uh, people who are entrenched here and their politics are based on the community that they grew up in. But there's also Mm -hmm. people that live here that are fighting like Cesar Chavez for the rights of social justice. Um, But that's a little bit about Fresno. And like the Robin McGeekies of the world. Um, before we get into more about you and your amazing work and how this coronavirus pandemic is affecting you, um, let's um, talk a little hot topics. Oh, that's hot. And you mentioned um, farm workers. Yeah. You know, farm workers are, have been deemed essential workers, but a lot of them or a number of them are undocumented and aren't able to receive a lot of the benefits that have been put out there by the U.S. government. Um, can you kind of share like your thoughts on that, kind of what you're seeing on the ground and in Fresno? And well, in the I, I mean, right? Yeah, great question. Um, and sadly, that's the reality for everything. I mean, that's what you see happening in reference to um, everything from healthcare options to um, food on the table for their families. Um, and you know, if you get to the most essential element, it's safety and. Uh, most recently I've been thrown in, I never thought I'd ever know as much about masks as I know right now. Um, I think everybody in the world is feeling that way. But, um, one of the first requests I had from a daughter who her father was working, um, as a field worker. And she's like, you know, the farmers want them to go and pick crops and they're directly right next to each other all day long. And I just want to get them masked. And so there was a request for a thousand masks right in the very beginning. 
And so, uh, you know, that essential safety is one of the first things. And then when you think about what's happening in reference to food shortages and Mm -hmm. um, where farmers are going to cut lines, it's obviously going to be on the front lines, people who are picking crops and helping sustain that business. Um, and that's going to lead to economic issues and uh, health care that's not available because uh, undocumented, undocumented issues that not only our government is a part of, but also those farm workers that are making money off of the backs of the field workers are not providing mm-hmm. those essential care options. Um, so it's, it's a vicious cycle. Um, but we see it in every industry, you know, not just farm workers. I, you know, I know people that work in the essential food businesses like our Walmarts, our Save Marts, our, you know, local grocery stores, and Mm -hmm. they're not offered adequate health care. And they're not looking at what are the safety practices that they need for those frontline people as well. You know, a lot of us are thinking about the nurses, the doctors, the emergency rooms, but there are people that are out there forced every single day to be in the public front. um, And we need to be thinking about their safety and their health as well. No, it's ironic that people who are categorized as essential are not giving the support um, that you would think that they should get about being essential. It's just a a weird scenario we're in right now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's always this this conversation about, oh, well, when this ends, you know, we really need to put health care first. We really need to make sure that we start paying hazard pay to these people that are essential workers. And the sad part about it is when pandemic or when uh, stress related or when um, political hot moments leave, then the aftermath is those people who are still dealing with the injustices and change really doesn't happen. So my hope is that um, politically we're going to be working towards a different climate than what we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really do the work to change these policies because you know, sadly, the 99% are the ones that are being harmed. And uh, the people that, you know, it, it bothered me when Madonna was in her tub with the bubbles and said, you know, well, this is the equalizer of all equalizers. It's not the equalizer. Yes, everybody is a subject to coronavirus, but she's got people out shopping for her food. She's got people helping her with her uh, kids being educated. You know, she has a constant paycheck. She doesn't have to worry about that's not the case for most Americans and most people across the world. Um, And so it's not an equalizer when you talk about economic justice. And you mentioned, um, you know, Madonna having people to take care of her kids and whatnot. And you have two lovely children. Have have you guys gotten into the this craze of seeing more people getting on TikTok and doing these family TikTok videos? Yeah, yeah. Well, I only know TikTok peripherally, <laughs> uh, but I, my kids will do videos and try to have fun. And you know, what I, you know, it was interesting. Right when this first broke out, uh, there was this article uh, that was written by this Italian mother, and she said, um, the, ten days ago, I would have told myself this." Um, and it was all these things about stay home, you know, don't fret on, you know, are they getting you know, all the educational things that they need, the social interaction they need, the sports that they need. Um, start now trying to, you know, hamper down. And uh, the one thing I've kind of let go of is the screen time. I mean, we're all on screens a lot more right <laughs> all now. All day long, yes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I feel like we're busier now than we were before this ever happened. <laughs> um, and so I think that's also the case for them. And honestly, I'm grateful for it because, you know, Sebastian and Jackson are such social beings and they like being connected to other people. And it breaks my heart not being able to say to them, yeah, you can go running, you know, with your buddies, or yes, you can meet your friends and go, you know, walk around the mall. Um, Because for them, you know, we've never been in this type of situation in our lifetime, and they definitely Mm -hmm. haven't. Um, And it's hard for them to understand. So I'm grateful for the Xbox and the TikToks and the whatevers that they can at least get that social interaction. Yeah. And so you talked about how, you know, um, this is an unprecedented moment. I don't know, you and I met during a somewhat unprecedented moment when the state of California um, voted to take away um, our right to marry um, as, as queer people. And you organized an amazing um, um, event called Meet in the Middle. Can you talk a little bit about 
what mean about meeting the minnow, some of your activism and um, how your activism is. Well, actually, just the stat for right now. Like, so meet in the middle and your activism. So uh, we did meet and there was beautiful moments and uh, craziness. It's kind of like yeah. this. You know, it's craziness <laughs> yeah. that puts us into these moments. That's true. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I'm not grateful for the political climate that sent us to that moment, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm grateful for the moments that I met you. Um, and so what I will say is that... Uh, For me, it really just started as a mom. I was uh, PTA president of my son's school. Uh, He was five years old at the time. Um, And, you know, at the same time that we were celebrating Barack Obama, you know, everybody knows we were losing rights at the ballot box Mm -hmm. um, because we were being bashed with Prop 8. And um, that moment led to... uh, the priest of the school where my son was going, uh, telling us that we could no longer volunteer, that he could stay there, but, you know, we were not allowed to, you know, organize or be on PTA. And I'm just not that kind of mom. I was like, well, my kid can be having his mama around and I'm out of here. Um, and so I left and, um, decided I was going to fight back because I was like, okay, no, not only did they bash us at the ballot box, but now they're going to bash us and control what we can do in our lives. Um, And it just didn't feel good, especially with the rhetoric that we were hearing from Obama about, you know, claim your power. I want everybody to be, you know, make me, you know, make this change happen. And And so, uh, wait, hold on. Um, Real quick, quick quick question. So, but before Prop 8, the school knew that, um, that you, that you were a lesbian couple and you had kids and no problem. No problem whatsoever. Yeah. And then at what point, because I, I never knew this part of it. At what yeah. of your story? At what point in the campaign process did it start to change? So what happened was um, he went there for pre-K for the first mm-hmm. year, and they saw that I was helping fundraise and everything. And so then the principal came to me and said, "Hey, you're a great fundraiser. Will you be president of the PTA?" And I was like, "Well, if you don't have anybody else, yes." And I said, "But you do need to know because I worked for the Gay Straight Alliance Network at the time. Right. Um, I was just their regional coordinator." And I said, you need to know that there's this ballot initiative coming up and there's a possibility that I'm going to be you know, organizing with that. Um, and she was like, it doesn't matter. We know who you are. We love your family, you know, whatever. Well, we lost Prop 8 and then uh, we everybody was doing candle vigils and, you know, the, the news was talking mm-hmm. to anybody they could get. And I was at one of those events um, and uh, the newspaper got me saying that, uh a quote that was quoted saying something about, you know, we live in a community where we're supposed to be talking about uh, Christian values and loving God, but God talked about loving thy neighbor. And we need to be the type of people that love thy neighbor and take care of thy neighbor, not take their rights away. Mm -hmm. And so the priest saw that quote and went to the principal and said, is that the lady that's the PTA president? And he, she said, yes. And then that's when I got the call. So we had lost on Tuesday. And by Friday, I was picking Sebastian up. And for me, um, the most angriest part was you had a five-year-old kid that did not know what was going on. All he knew was that, you know, we were at this rally and he doesn't care. He's just, you know, being, you know, a kid loving his family. And on Friday, I'm having to pick him up and tell him he's got to tell his friends goodbye. And he's like, you know, mom, just tell him I'll be a good boy if I can go back. Oh, my gosh. And I said, Sebastian, this has nothing to do with you. And I was in tears. You know, I said, Sebastian, this is nothing about you. This is about people who don't like our family. And that's their problem. That's not your problem. And I said, and what we're going to do is we're going to organize them and show them that our family is no different than the families that are in that school. And so, you know, it was a great lesson for them because mm-hmm. what happened was we had what you talked about, which was meet in the middle. Um, and it was an idea I had from another family friend that had kids. She said, you know, um, we're in the middle of California. Why don't we just get everybody to come to the center of the state where they voted most against us and stand up and fight back? And I said, great, that's meet in the middle. Let's call it meet in the middle. Right. And so um, that's what happened. We had about 7,500 people come. But so from that moment in November, we spent from November to May, 
uh, going all over the state of California trying to convince people why they should come mm-hmm. to Fresno. And it was at the very beginning of people were like, Fresno? <laughs> like, where? Like, where? <laughs> what? Exactly. Well, I'm going to come to Fresno. And so, uh, and we were like, Fres, yes, Fres, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, luckily there were lots of organizations, the Courage Campaign and others that were organizing. Um, and, you know, all of the people in LA that brought in Charlize Theron, Eric McCormick, and all mm-hmm. kinds of different celebrities that were willing to drive up, Michelle Clooney, um, yeah. drive up to Fresno and um, give it validity, number one. Uh, But I think that when the news agencies, especially the people in Fresno, were seeing that that many people were willing to come up and stand up and say, hey, we deserved our dignity. um, That's for me what changed. And uh, the person that I really, you know, feel most a heartfelt connection to because he was willing to go and tell everybody they should come to is Cleve Jones. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he spoke. Yeah, exactly. Uncle Cleve. Um, everywhere he spoke, he would say, you know, come to Fresno, trust me. Um, we need to stand up together and fight back. Uh, and that led to um, him calling for a national march on Washington mm-hmm. uh, with 250,000 people marching on Washington, Lady Gaga and lots of others. Uh, and after that, it was kind of like, what do we do next? And girl, I grew up in Mississippi. And so mm-hmm. all of the messaging that I had heard and the guy that started, uh, the get equal with me, which was the group that started to fight back after the March, mm-hmm. Kim Williams grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And both of us had this kinship about, you know, there's so many civil rights movements that are built on iconic imagery. Even, you know, the HIV and AIDS movement is built on Diane's and doing the political zaps and protests that bring attention to an emergency. And so um, thinking about the South and that iconic imagery of the lunch counter, we just thought you've got to create imagery that shows people the harm that's being done. Right. So with the help of Dan Choi and others, um, we chained people to the White House fence. We shut down Las Vegas Boulevard. Um, And, you know, in the end, uh, we were just one spoke in the wheel that tried to push the administration, specifically Barack Obama Mm -hmm. and Congress, uh, to influence not only legislation like the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, but the rhetoric of Obama to come out and say, Hey, you know, I, yes, I have said that, you know, I believe it's up to the states, but now I'm going to tell you that I believe that marriage equality should happen. And, and I'm very grateful that he took that stance um, Mm -hmm. because he's, I went into the ballot box to vote for him over Clinton, even in the primary. Um, And he did not let me down even in the end. So I'm very grateful for the president he was. And even though we had to push him, which was not fun, but um, I'm grateful for that. Number one, I'm grateful for you and work that you've done. And I'm sure you, you hear I'm sure you hear that often, but not enough because you meet in the middle was transformative for many of us. Um, you know, as a one person from, from LA, I remember there are some of my closest friends I met sitting in that around that big table on that first night. Um, um and then and I remember going to I forget the name of the club out there in, in Fresno and um, and there, there are people I remember who are still, I talk to all the time now who we had our first like drink or dance or whatever there. Yeah. And then, and ever, and ever since then. Um, and then it's a definitely, I think it was, it takes, um, it, I think it definitely took people really seeing that it cared. It mattered to us right. to be able to make it matter to them. And you were a big catalyst for that for many people. So thank you, thank you on behalf yeah, of a grateful community. Yeah. Um, and I know you haven't stopped organizing. So yeah. What are you what are you what are you working on these days and how has the coronavirus pandemic and the stay at home order affected you personally and your work? Yeah. So I right now um, I left Get Equal around uh, I think it was like 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, That was mainly because the organization was at a space where I couldn't manage it. You know, living in California, it's a Washington based organization or was a Washington based organization. Um, where the work needed to really be organized and happen. 
and also uh, the funding that we had originally that had come into play. Uh, that funder had moved on to other projects, which you know happens with funding, as you know. Yeah. Um, and if it was in my wheelhouse and I had the ability, we'd be doing the exact same thing towards Donald Trump, if not worse. Um, following him wherever he was going and doing disruptions wherever he was. Um, but, you know, it takes funding to make things happen. And um, in reality, I had to go back to life of being a mom, a stay-at-home, you know, mom in the Valley. I couldn't be going all over the country, you know, organizing arrests. Um, and I went back in the classroom, and I'm a full-time teacher at College of the Sequoias in Visalia, California, which is a community college. I teach communication, public speaking, stuff like that. Um, that leads to a lot of community organizing. So I do help out with different organizations that are in the Valley where I see needs. I try to, you know, figure out how to place people with what they're needing. Um, but on top of that, uh, it also leads people to reach out or, and say, Hey, do you know who has this? And the luxury of organizing, as you know, is that, Um, once an organizer, always an organizer. And if you can just keep it in your mind and say, you know, Hey, well, that person needed this and this person has this, I need to connect those two people. And that's Mm -hmm. really as easy as it is. Um, and it's having that desire to have that initiative. Um, and then the follow through, because a lot of times I think these issues are so overwhelming that, um, it is, uh, it can be debilitating, you know, and uh, the one message that I have for you, I'm very grateful for that meetup and that time together. But the one thing I've always witnessed about you is that you never stop. You don't let anything hold you down. Uh, I mean, you had a very tragic accident and you pushed through that like an organizer. You were like, this is it. We, I've got to roll with it. I'm going to do this. And it's, it doesn't come easy. Um, And a lot of people will be controlled by the emotions mentally and physically, and that can debilitate them. And for whatever reason, we've been blessed by the hands of God uh, to have this ability and not everybody has it. And I feel like um, if you don't utilize it, that's, in my opinion, a sin because, you know, Mm. I've been given a gift that I need to look at as something that I got to give back because that's what I was given. Um, And so from that, I had nurses that immediately once this started happening, you know, for me, I've just been organizing how the hell we get Trump out of office. I mean, that's my (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, so I really try to follow the news cycles. I'm trying to get that, you know, in people's minds that, you know, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum, but it Mm -hmm. needs to be anybody but him. Um, and yes, you know, I am, uh, definitely one of those persons that will say, look, you got to get on board for Biden. But I also understand that there were people that were huge Sanders supporters. So we can't just turn our back and say, I don't understand why you felt that way. You just need to get on board. We need to say, we hear you and we know it needs to be different, but that is organizing. And so, um, while watching the news that developing around the primaries um, and trying to keep up with which was happening you know, between those two entities, I had a nurse friend from a local hospital who put up a post and she said, we don't have any supplies. Um, if you have the ability or you know someone who can sew, can you help me get some masks? And right. she just put it out to just anybody. Um, and so, and I thought, oh my God, you know, really that's how desperate we are that we need people to sew masks. <laughs> right. Uh, well, Isn't was, crazy? Yeah, <laughs> Isn't exactly. Crazy? We're like, we're in the United States. We can, we can, we, we have, we have satellites in the, in space. Um, yes. we have, we're like spending billions bombing other countries, but we can't right. get masks. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Amen. Yes, exactly. And I can, we were even on an organizing call together early on that Mm -hmm. Billy Polina put together Mm -hmm. and we all were kind of like, well, we don't know if mask is really going to be the issue. You know, people need to get food on their table and people, which are still things that are needed, but that to your point, we're supposed to be the most industrialized nation, the most powerhouse, you know, make America great. We are not great. Right. 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 Um, And so uh, to that extent, I just put a post and said, look, I need sewers. Who can sew? And from that, um, a woman who owned a vacuum and sew shop called Authorized Vac and Sew Mm -hmm. said, I'm willing to give out free uh, fabric to anybody that's willing to sew. So she gave out 6,000 kits 
for masks. And so we've delivered masks to Valley Children's Hospital, to the care cancer centers all over the Valley. California Food Bank is picking up some tomorrow. Um, So, I mean, and the need is not stopping. Like if I had 10,000 masks, I can guarantee Mm -hmm. you that the local healthcare facilities would be begging for them. Um, So that's what's going on. And so for me, like I said, I don't know anything about masks. All I know is we've identified sewers, we've gotten fabric, we're getting it to the local people that are willing to sew. And then I drive around all day and deliver it to the people who've asked, which is a beautiful ability. Mm. And I get to post the photos on Facebook to say, you know, look at these people that are just on the front lines trying to take care of us. And they're acting like I'm giving them a hundred dollars and all I'm giving them is a little fabric mask. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I love that. And, and is there, I imagine um, it's pretty easy to sew a mask. Yes. No. So, 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 so people, um, if people want to help you in that effort, how could they do that? Well, if they are sewers, so for example, there's Lalea Price, who is in the Valley Drag Queen extraordinaire, wonderful, wonderful talent. And she has been doing all kinds of different masks with lots of easy ability. If you ask me to do it, no. (laughs) Um, There are mothers and grandmothers and seamstresses that totally get into this easy to do it. If you ask me to do it, no. So I don't Mm want to act like it is um, an easy task, but if they wanted a pattern and they wanted to figure out how to do it, they can email me at robinmcgeehee at gmail.com. Feel free to put it out on the post or whatever. Um, And luckily uh, the gay uh, rainbow pride parade gave us their tax deductible, um, uh, 501c3. So mm. we're running the donations through their entity and then we're using the donations that go through the pride parade. So it's really the gay community that's taking in the funds for us and then helping direct them back to the nurses and the doctors and the cancer, you know, centers that are here in the Valley. Um, and so far we've raised about $700 and we've been able to do that you know, 6,000 masks on $700 because of authorized back and so. Um, And on top of that, uh, what, because of organizing, someone else reached out and said, Hey, did you know that 3d printers can make face shields? And so I reached out to the superintendent of Fresno County schools that I just happen to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, I'm assuming you have 3d printers. He's, he's like, yes, I've got 14. Um, and he goes, and I can do two, uh, I can do uh, 14 masks every two hours. And so he's making uh, face shields for uh, UCSF and they're taking in those and getting them to the front lines. I so love it. again, it's not something that I can do. I can com- connect the people who know how to do. So something you're making me think about that could be helpful is, um, you know, I wonder, so, so yes, there's definitely giving the, the, the sewing kit to the people who can sew. But I can imagine too, that there are people who are listening now who are are like you who are saying, girl, I can't sew. But what I can do is is bring people together and connect the dots. I wonder, do you have like a, do you have a toolkit for someone who wants to be someone who connects the dots and organize something similar in their area? So the, t- the basic toolkit is reaching out to places that have fabric because a lot of them are deemed non-essential, uh, so they're not working. And so mm-hmm. getting in touch with uh, any type of, uh, you know, if it's a fabric store, if it's a um, craft business and saying, so quilting, et cetera, and asking them, do you have fabric that you'd be willing to donate? If not... Mm-hmm then it's finding donors that are willing to help buy fabric from this business that, you know, needs business as well. Um, And if they are, what we found is that as long as you're working on mass distribution, you will become a deemed essential business. And so what happens is that business is able to stay open and have their employees working. Um, And if, you know, for us, luckily the seamstress and the owner of the authorized back and sew put kits together. And so 
what we did is we worked to send people to the business, but she gave them a packet of uh, enough fabric and the instructions to make 12 masks. And then they came back with the, with the mask to that location. Mm-hmm. And then we just started reaching out to hospitals and it's the procurement um, director or the inventory director that you're looking for at any healthcare and that's nursing homes, mm-hmm. hospitals, any type of facilities reaching out. Um, and for me, luckily, um, the power of Facebook was any nurses out there need masks. And that's how we really started getting leads on, oh, my God, you know, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were hearing from ER doctors and respiratory therapists, et cetera, just because we put the ask out there. So the toolkit is really easy if you can find the fabric because the people, are, once they learn that you have it, are going to want them. Are going to come. Yeah. And then my last question on this topic, is there any safety issue with people taking the fabric to their home and making it in their home and bringing it back? Very good question. And so uh, originally we were um, washing them in high heat, then ironing them with starch, which is what we got as a recommendation from an infectious disease control person. Mm -hmm. But then we started worrying about the safety of the people that were collecting them. And all of these facilities, the nursing homes, the hospitals have their own sterilization process for their own linens. And so now we give that to them in wraps and then they're able to sterilize it once they get it back to their facilities. Ah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we do is we collect it in trash or plastic, you know, ziplocs. Right. And then we have a number fifty or so in a bag, and then that's what we give it to the facility, and then they sterilize on their own. Their own way. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Um, but so, the other the, one more thing I'll add to that though mm-hmm. is, so it started with masks, and then we had a. Uh, nurse that works at Valley Children's that said, hey, look, you know, if we've got a disease area, we need a zero pressure room. And that means that whoever's in that room has to be fully set up in the hazmat and the gowns and whatever. Mm -hmm. And for them to come out and talk to the nurses station, they've got to get out of everything and then go out and then come back in. And so she said, what would really help is if we had two way radios. And so luckily, um, we were able to reach out to some police departments and to some school districts that had two-way radios that they were willing to donate. And those nurses are talking about how invaluable it is that they can stand in a zero-pressure room and communicate with the nurses' station. Now, again, that's something I would have never known to think about. But no, or because never. Of the nurses, yeah, and so just the idea giving that idea to other nursing facilities to say, look, if you've got a COVID area – that needs to communicate with the other parts of the hospital, how are you doing that? And if they don't have a way, then those two-way radios are what a lot of hospitals are moving to. Life so it seems like, so it's amazing that the, um, the Area Pride Festival is um, donating their, letting you use their 501c3 status to be able to, um, to, be able to do this. And uh, what, what other ways are you seeing the, um, the Valley community stepping up to help and also how they how were they being affected um, by all of this yeah well a lot I mean a lot of them are job loss I mean Mm -hmm. uh and so what I've tried to do is just make the message out loud and clear that if there is a need that you need please don't hesitate to ask and I will work to connect you if I can't help you myself I'm going to work to connect you with people who have services and Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's just saying that a lot of people um right now in the infancy of this don't really know what they need. You know, they're able to hold themselves right. for a little bit as they're kind of waiting and seeing what's going to happen. But if this really continues to go the direction that I fear that it's going to go and it's not going to be over in two weeks, um, then you're going to see a real need that's going to come out in all kinds of different ways. And mm-hmm. uh, what I hope is happening is people stepping up in the ways that they can. So for example, There's a great business here called Bitwise um, that's run by a queer woman, um, and she advertised 100 jobs that she could make available that were data entry, work from home. Um, And, uh, you know, if you had that ability, it's really, you know, it's like an organizer. It's thinking outside Mm -hmm. of the box Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, hey, I've got a paycheck right now. 
um, with that paycheck I'm not spending is because I'm not going out to the bars. I'm not going out to the restaurants. Yeah, Let's yeah. figure out how I can give out backpacks to the homeless right now, or I can you know, figure out a meal plan for someone who has lost their job and doesn't have that continued paycheck coming in. Um, because some people are in a, you know, I'm in a luxury position. I'm a teacher. I am remote teaching. I'm able to do that mm-hmm. from home. Not everybody has that luxury. And um, I feel like a lot of people are forgetting that are having that luxury, that that's not the case for everybody. And so trying to figure out how do we use that um, luxury of an income, um, the great equalizer, as Madonna would say, and really (laughs) make sure that it's equalized. Um, And, you know, so I I heard someone say recently, well, I get to save on, you know, childcare and I get to save on, you know, cleaning my house. And well, not really because your childcare person needs that income and you want that person to still be there whenever you're back in, you know, um, and I think we don't need to be looking at it as how are we benefiting ourselves? And we should be looking at how do we take care of others? I love that. So switching gears a little bit, um, so on Quarantine and Chill, we have a, it's not a game, but it's kind of a game. I can't give a word for it. So if you have an idea after we do this, we'll actually call it, let me know. But it's called, What Would You Do? And basically, I give you a scenario, and then I ask you, what would you do? Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. So imagine, you know, that, that Sebastian is five years old again. Um, so you have a you have a five year old kid who's exhibiting all the signs of coronavirus, you know, fever, dry cough, chest pain, body aches, everything else. Um, so you take her, so you take him to the hospital to get a test, and they tell you you have to wait five, six, seven, twelve days, whatever the waiting time is nowadays because it's been shifting um, to get to, to get the results. But while you're waiting, you have to have the, your child in quarantine. It's not it's isolation. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Wow. Okay, good question. So for me, uh, if Sebastian or Jackson was five, I would feel like I'm going to risk getting it to take care of their basic needs. Mm-hmm. I would probably quarantine his sister um, and my wife away and mm-hmm. we would figure out a way that we're going to live off ramen noodles and, you know, <laughs> yeah. fluids. um, and I would, you know, all of this is so scary. I was listening to a guy the other day being interviewed and he said, you know, I, he was positive and he said, it's not just the virus. He said, on top of that, you have this mental game of everything you've been reading about what's going to happen to you um, or could possibly happen to you. And then that starts playing with your mind, which Mm -hmm. is not helping your immune system. And so my goal would just be to entertain the child and Mm -hmm. take care of basic needs and let them know that they're loved and cared for and that you're there with them. Um, and, uh, you know, pray that I'm clean enough that I'm making sure I'm Purell in my hands and keeping the space clean, but knowing that if I had to get it to make sure that that basic, uh, need of being loved and cared for was felt by Sebastian or Jackson, um, I'd be willing to risk that. Citizens, what would you do in a scenario? You can go to our Quarantine and Chill Facebook page to let us know right now. You can also post it to your Instagram story or on Twitter. Just make sure to add us or to use the hashtag Quarantine and Chill. We'll share it. So. I know and this is an actual situation. Um, someone who I know, his um, nephew had all the symptoms. Um, they went to the hospital. It took 12 days. To wow. get the results, and they had to um, quarantine their twelve, their five-year-old, well, his five-year-old um, um, nephew, for twelve days until he wow. got the results. No, it turned out it was negative for coronavirus. It was like a respiratory infection or something like that, and um, and it's fine. But and it was just like it's like that. I couldn't imagine being a parent and having no. to grapple with that. I would die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just because, yeah. I would, yeah. Because like what kid, number one, what five-year-old, what, what adult can just be 
in a room right. all day long. Constantly, you know, exactly. Yes, constantly. exactly. Totally. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, honestly, that's what's heartbreaking for me at the, you know, thinking about social needs is heartbreaking, but also mm-hmm. thinking about the children that, you know, they live off of meal plans that their schools feed them yeah. and they are in situations that their parents don't have the luxury of not working. And now they're mm-hmm. at home all day long with this scary news system that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, just because they're not watching the news doesn't mean that they're not seeing the TikToks and the whatever. And some right. of them, you know, kind of scary. Um, and so that messaging, it, that's what concerns me is what uh, PTSD or our children going to leave out of this with, um, after all this is over because, you know, they're in situations that, like I said, we never went through anything like this, you know, nine 11, mm-hmm. it happened in this isolated space. Right. And we watched it from afar. Um, and now we're in a situation. And even if you were in New York, you know, you see it happening, but unless your family was directly connected to it, your kids weren't staying home from school constantly. Um, right. and you saw the immediate, you know, step of, okay, this is what we got to do right now. We're all kind of looking at each other like, okay, well, what do we do now? And we're, and we're in our little pod. Yeah. And so the thing, yeah. the thing that's it's so fascinating to me is that, I mean, yes, we have the internet, we have technology, we have TV, we have everything, but we really can't see for ourselves right. what's yeah. really happening out in the world. But yeah. like now like I've gone on one walk around the neighborhood kind of outside of my few blocks um, radius and I saw a lot of stores closed yeah. but I don't know if they're closed because of they're not essential or they closed not coming back right uh, exactly yep yeah so we, so we really don't know the impact and I don't think we, we really won't know until we do come back exactly right it'll be like that scene I think it'll be like that scene in the Avengers after the snap mm-hmm. when people were uh, people were like seeing who was left and what was right. going on exactly exactly so it's kind of like Survivor when you walk in, you know, and you see who got kicked off and yeah. you walk in and you know, you're seeing for the first time, oh, my God, they lost so and so, you know, exactly. that's how every week is, you know, and mm-hmm. the media tries to, you know, sensationalize the next name, the Boris Johnson of the week, you know, who is right. it that, you know, is, has got it, what celebrities got it, what celebrity have we lost, but we're losing thousands of people mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, and that's not counting, you know, poverty kills too. And um, in reality, uh, it is definitely going to be numbers that are well, well beyond what the virus took. I um, agree. And not only from, you know, poverty and not being able to fill your belly and take care of yourself, you know, through immediate needs, but depression and suicide, mm-hmm. um, all of that is, you know, heartbreaking and it, it's overwhelming. Given that that's the climate we're in now, what are you doing to keep you and your family um, sane and well? And what tips do you have for people listening to do the same? I think the best advice is don't panic, do something. And, um, you know, doing something is different for everybody. You know, like I said, I'm not a sewer, but I know how to drive a car and deliver masks. And I know how to Mm -hmm. call people and ask, do you need something? Um, And, you know, for me, as important it is to go get out and go for a walk and be physically active, it's important to feel like I'm giving back or doing something. And it really does have, um, for me, a mental and physical benefit. And I would encourage other people to try to figure out the needs that might be happening in their community. And even mm-hmm. if it's putting a letter in a mailbox and saying, you know, hey, I know that you work at this type of place and I don't know if you're working right now, but if you need something, I wanted you to know um, that I'm here as your neighbor and I'm willing to help. Um, You know, not everybody's on Facebook. So it's checking in with the people that are in your community and saying, I may not have what you need, but I'll try to figure out how to get it for you. You you see the headline of a hundred flight attendants have tested positive for uh, coronavirus on American Airlines. And, and immediately I was thinking, you know, it's not just the, the stewardess, it's the people that clean the planes, it's the people right. that are working at the airports. All those people are affected by, you know, the lack of flights and people not traveling, as well as their safety, you know, their, their physical health. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so number one, it's just trying to figure out how you can give back. But number two, physically staying active. You can't just sit and Netflix and chill all day. Um, I think people were like, man, that was overrated. We've done it so much now. There's nothing else in the library. Um, Hi, citizens. For today's wellness tips, go to the Quarantine and Chill Facebook page. You can even leave some of your own. A friend I made a joke the other day about um, he thinks he's going to get the end. He's going to hit the end of the internet soon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about what you're doing because I feel like I'm getting a, a glimpse into someone else's efforts and someone else's life. And mm-hmm. it's different than just watching a make believe movie. I want to hear the real life stories right now. I want to mm-hmm. connect with someone's living room or space and know that there's still good in this world. It's not just the, the Trump narrative that's out there. Um, there are people still organizing and doing things for good. And it's been fascinating. I've done a few interviews so far. Um, the uh, and the the experience across the world. There's lots of similarities, yeah. and there's something that are different. The thing, and I've said this, people will hear this a few times in future episodes, is the 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 the, the lack of touch has been one of the main things people have commented. They want to hug their friends, hug yeah. their families. Yeah. Um, some people who are um, extremely who are um, immunocompromised can't touch anybody and have an amazing network of friends and family who do a lot to make sure that when they get their food um, they don't have to interact with anybody or anything but and they're they're so grateful but they can't touch them or or hug them to say thank you yeah um so so it's it's very hard i mean it's it's been it's been very fascinating to really talk to people the queer community in particular, I think the other thing that I really hope to show from all this is that um, I think people often see the um, queer people on TV and think, oh, we make people laugh or we do their hair or we, you know, or whatever else. But I think through the course of this um, um, podcast, what people really see, we're in every part of, we're in every part of life. Amen. Um, Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And I think that at the end of the day, that human connection is what people are going to uh, crave the most, especially for extroverts. Um, You know, they're going to crave that the most. Um, But I don't know. It's for me, you know, I'm delivering food to my parents and I have a very close relationship with my brother and his wife and my niece and nephew. And I can't stand knowing that even from them, I got to stand six feet apart. I mean, we're a bunch of huggers and um, I feel every part of me feels like we're losing so much, not only just our mental health from worrying about coronavirus, but just, our mental health from the connections that we have as human beings, you know? So that's why, you know, like I said, even this fills my heart with warmness because I think I'm going to enjoy just being able to hear what other people are doing. And that motivates me to think nobody's giving up. We got to keep, you know, doing what we're doing. We're going to meet in the end at the end. Yeah. So, we got to meet in the middle again, somehow meet in the middle it, virtually or in the, pl- yeah. in, the, in the world, in the country, wherever. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and the last thing that I want to say, I was going to bed thinking about this last night. I thought, you know, what's scary for me is that we're now in April and November will be here before we know it. And we have got to be brain. We are a brilliant uh, community and um, you know, Netflix and chill is a term because brilliant minds come out and start sharing those messages online. And that becomes the common language. And I truly believe that our community needs to be thinking about how are we going to motivate around a replacement for this fascist in chief that we have in the white house. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know what the answer is, but there needs to be um, organizing. And, you know, Uncle Cleve would tell you congressional district wise, we Mm -hmm. need to just be saying, okay, you know, I'll take care of my district 23 Mm -hmm. and I'm going to make sure that I'm reaching out through Zoom or whatever and getting commitments to vote. And I want them to reach out to their neighbors because what scares me is that if this continues going the way that it's going to go, who has the narrative right now? It's Trump. Right, every day. Yeah, exactly. And so we've got to figure out a way to put Biden in that narrative, no matter whether you like him or not, he's going to be the nominee. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, um, I truly believe um, when Obama comes out for him and when Sanders backs him and um, we've all got to get on the bus and say, we are driving towards justice. We're not driving towards hate. Um, and, so. you, and it was interesting. You talked, you know, talked about the one of the things that um, I think people will also learn by listening to the Quarantine and Chill podcast is that there are there's there are multiple Trumps in the world right now. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In, Bra- in Brazil, their president still is denying it's a problem. Yep. And and when their local mayors in like Rio and Sao Paulo, they have said, you know, we want we take it seriously, and they've put stay at home orders. He's telling he's he's trying to go against right. them and trying to fight them. So people yeah. who live in those cities, they're like, what do we do? What can we do? What can we not do? Yeah. And in, in Mexico, um, what you if you heard in the first episode um, that the the president of Mexico he had a number of public events um, mm-hmm. to say you know hug hug each other yeah 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 uh, kiss kiss kissing little children like and say oh no it's not a problem um, right. you know so right. so it's like so so we have a, so I think all over the world it's a moment where we need to organize and really bring back um, um, yeah. sanity and um, belief and expertise yeah. um, and a belief in humanity to be able to make sure we have we're able to um, 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 to fight uh, to to come out of this stronger than we were before exactly and, and as you said and figure out in your own country wherever you are how mm-hmm. to not panic but do something and be that alternative narrative to the people that are you know actually harming us mm-hmm. so. so before i let you go where can people find you um online on the internet or wherever so on twitter at speech advice um and uh facebook it's robin johnston mcgeehy uh and you know email me i mean i don't really have a big platform (laughs) i just do local organizing and i'm willing to help out wherever you are if you got something that you need i'm willing to do it i love it and so lastly what's one thing you want to take away from this experience personally or something you hope that we as a as a as a world or or a, um, a country take away from this experience I hope that um, we definitely take to heart how important social connections are um, and that we don't take for granted the people in our lives that um, could not be there in a second. You know, did I know that Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to, that was going to be the last time I was going to hug my niece and nephew or hug my mom and dad or, um, you know, go to a, a, a rally or a protest. Well, I can't look forward to the chance to be able to hug you again. Amen. I'm going to hug you too. After the interview with Robin McGeehy, she wanted to make sure that I let y'all know that an amazing straight ally in Central Valley, her name is Ramona Haro, been very instrumental in their collaborative efforts to get um, masks and other PPE to the healthcare workers in Central Valley. Gracias. Toda oba. Xie xie ni. Obrigado. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Quarantine and Chill, a creation of yours truly, Vincent Jones and Citizen Jones Travel. Much love to the amazing Ben Salk, who produces, edits, and makes all the music for the podcast. If you love this episode, please like and leave positive comments on the podcast platform of your choice. You have no idea how much that helps us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can learn more about today's guests and get any resources mentioned in the conversation, as well as connect with other citizens in the quarantine and chill community. Until tomorrow, this is Vincent Jones reminding you to wash your hands. That's quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill. That's quarantine and chill.